The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke from the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The Gospel reading this morning is taken from the book of St. Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, and can be found on page 1588 in the Pew Bible. Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God, and you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Will you please uh, pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I ask for your mercy and grace this morning because uh, I got hit with allergies at about five this morning and I am melting up here, so I apologize. Uh, but it is not the Rona. I do not have a fever or anything like that. So uh, let us start this in the name of Jesus because nothing good comes from any other source. And I present this to you in humility. We are uh, coming close to the end of the Advent season. In fact, today is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and this coming Thursday, when the sun goes down, it will be Christmas Eve, and Advent is over. We remember a time before the COVID-19 virus, when the world outside these walls would usually be full 
of the hustle and bustle of preparing for Christmas. In fact, the merchants who, well, those who are still in business, still hope that we will buy lots of presents for our loved ones. And we notice that the entertainment menus on television or our pay-per-view or what have you, the, the menus are, well, a little more wholesome this time of year. Especially when they show the really old classics that extol Christian values and virtues and actions such as forgiveness and reconciliation and charity and love and, gosh, you know, that good old-fashioned traditional family values. It is probably good that we have all of this activity at this time of year when the darkness of evening descends just a little earlier every day. However, inside the church, Advent is different. God has promised that he will come, and so we wait. We wait in prayer. We wait with comfort, and we wait with joy. Now, this Sunday, we learn about waiting with worship. This Sunday's reading tells us about a conversation between King David, Nathan, and God. The topic of the conversation is God's house. And this conversation can teach us quite a bit about worship. It was seven and a half years after being anointed king of Israel in Hebron that David defeated the Jebusites. And David captured their capital city and he gave the city a new name, Jerusalem. And David made Jerusalem his new capital. Now when the Jebusites lived there, they, they worshipped Baal or Baal. And Baal worship was a polytheistic, many God, abomination of cultic prostitution and idolatry. And the question would be, how does one cleanse a city that has been defiled in such a grotesque way? David brought the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem to do just such a thing. He brought in the name. He brought in the presence of the Lord God of all hosts. God blessed David's reign in Jerusalem and the 12 tribes united together under David. And with the help of God, David defeated the enemies of Israel. And soon we read that there was peace and God established the nation of Israel with David as its king. 
And it always happens this way. One day, King David looked out the window of his new palace in Jerusalem, and he was struck by the fact that he lived in luxury. And the Lord still dwelt in a humble tabernacle, a tent. David recognized that this was a theological issue, so he talked to the prophet Nathan. Nathan was his spiritual confidant. Nathan was David's pastor and father confessor. The king said to Nathan, the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go and do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Now, we know that King David, he was a builder. He built an army. He built a kingdom. He built a city. And he built a beautiful palace. He was also a gifted composer and a musician. And anyone who has been privileged to be involved in the building of a new church knows that there is joy and there's excitement and anticipation in the being involved with such a worthy undertaking. Many of you remember. And it must have been quite a night for David. Being told to go and do what your heart tells you. We can imagine David He's so excited. He's too excited to sleep that he's busy working out all of the plans for the new temple for God. But then we read further in that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. And it was instructing him to tell King David this, that he was not permitted to build the temple. One of the greatest disappointments in King David's remarkable life was to be told by God himself that he would not have the privilege of building the temple. This is David, whose liturgical compositions are still sung in the church today, and it must have devastated him. And through the prophet Nathan, God told David that I have not lived in a house since the day I brought the people out of Egypt. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. And here's the thing. These words teach David, and they teach us, that it is God who determines how he reveals himself to his people. The pagans who lived in the city before David, they conquered it, and they thought worship was about what they did 
for their little g-gods. How they could get closer to God. How they could earn his favor. They even tried to entertain their little g-gods with obscene actions in the hope that the gods and the goddesses would in turn bless them with things like fertility. The worship of the true God is totally different. It is about what God does for us. It is about how God comes to us and reveals himself to us. It is about how God himself paid the price that earned our favor with him. In today's reading, God tells David that he will be with him in an unusual way. At first, the reading seems to be all about how God will bless David. But eventually there is more, so much more. It is not about how God blessed David, but about how God blessed the entire world. I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. God says, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will be, excuse me, that the Lord will make you a house, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now when God speaks of an eternal throne, he is speaking of much more than the dynasty of King David. He is talking about bringing his gifts to us in a most unusual way. In Luke 2, verse 4 and 5, we read, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now the Lord's promise of an eternal kingdom and a steadfast love would ultimately be fulfilled in this child of Mary, who bore the iniquity of us all. And in our stead, he was disciplined with the rod of men and then crucified. This is the one who is both David's son and David's Lord. Now, God determines 
how he comes to us, us in worship. He once came as a baby in order to take our place. He lived the perfect life on our behalf. And he died so that we might live forever. He rose so that we might live with him. And now we wait for him to come to us one last time. And in the meantime, he comes in the word. He comes in sacrament to be with us while we wait for the final day. We would not choose on our own such simple means. We would have him come in a manner that is much more impressive, more to our liking. However, even so, regardless, nonetheless, in spite of what we want, it is God. It is God who determines how he reveals himself to his people. Now, how did David respond? He understood that God had chosen to reveal himself in the tabernacle and the ark, and he went into the humble tent where, he, where the Lord himself revealed himself. And there he sat down, and there he prayed God's own words back to him. David thanked God for being with him thus far in his life as king. Little K, king. He thanked God for redeeming his people Israel from Egypt and its gods, little g-gods, with the promise that they would be his people forever. He thanked God for promising to establish an eternal house to David. On the basis of God's words, David found the courage and the strength to conclude his prayer by asking the Lord to bless him and his house so that it might continue in God's presence forever. From this event in David's life, we learn that God comes to us in ways that he chooses. We learn that somehow from David's sinful flesh will come forth the sinless one of God. We learn that the sinless one of God will establish a eternal throne. We who now sit before the altar of the Lord, we know that it is this sinless one is Jesus, the Christ. We know that he has established an eternal throne with his suffering and death on the cross. We know that true worship is about him coming to us with his gifts. We know that while we wait, this sinless Jesus comes to us in, with, under the bread and the wine. He comes to us in his word. Here we sit in God's house, 
where his word and spirit give you the courage and the strength to pray, to give thanks, to confess the faith, and to ask the Lord to bless you, to bless your family and his church so that we may dwell in his presence forever. In our Advent, in Christmas worship, like David, we will say back to God what he has revealed to us with his saving deeds and his saving word. In creed, in prayers, in hymns, and in psalms, we confess and praise God for sending his Son to live, to die, and to rise again to atone for our sins and to give us eternal life. And while we wait, we worship. Worship is not about what we do for God. It is about the God who reveals himself to us and serves us. He serves us with the means of his word and sacrament in order to strengthen us in our faith until that day when the world ends and our Lord Jesus himself, he reveals himself in order to take us home with him. In the name of Jesus, amen.